confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Well, let's talk about all of this now with uh, my first guest in this hour, former health secretary uh, for the Conservatives, Stephen Dorrell, who joins us. Good morning to you, Stephen. Morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, I, I wonder how many people are, are the same to me who you know, are accepted the need for the first lockdown, supportive of the government on lots of this, certainly trusting every word coming out of the mouths of Sir Patrick Vallance and Professor Chris Whitty, who now feel that um, uh, we're not perhaps getting, at the very least, the full accurate picture. Uh, what do you make of what was said yesterday and what we expect to hear today? Well, I, I don't actually think it's true that we're not getting the full accurate picture from Sir Patrick Vallance and Chris Whitty. I think what, there's an important difference, actually, and I welcome it, uh, between what happened at the beginning of the pandemic and what happened yesterday. What happened yesterday was that the scientists uh, set out their views about the, the, the risk that the government is now needing to address. So it, wasn't, it didn't start with the prime minister saying this is the answer. It started with the experts saying, this is our view, but it is, of course, only one authoritative view. This is our view of the question that the government now needs to address. And it's perfectly legitimate for people to question uh, the science that uh, Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance set out yesterday. Uh, but what they've got to do is to show 
why they disagree rather than simply saying these are uncomfortable truths and we prefer it well, wasn't the, like. You say it's legitimate to question the science set out yesterday. The trouble was no one was allowed to question it, were they? Because they didn't take any questions. Although it, 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 was, it was built as a press conference. It wasn't. It was a, a Gwiswiti and Sir Patrick Vance setting out their view. Um, and yet almost immediately um, many people were able to question this. Again, this, this not a prediction from Patrick Vance, but an example scenario that he chose of 49,000 cases by mid-October, 200 deaths following on from that mid-November. Um, there is absolutely no basis on which you would choose that as not just your most likely example scenario based on the, 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 the rate of increase right now or indeed the trajectory France and Spain are following, um, but, but even as a, as a, even a far-flung example. And yet they chose that example. Um, if we are going to have um, government policy decided and guided by inverted commas, the science, um, should we not be allowed to question the science and actually question the scientists and the medics themselves when they make these statements? Well, a number of points there. First of all, I completely agree that it was a mistake not to allow questions. Uh, I think in the truth, in a democracy, uh, it's always a, a mistake not to allow questions because, of course, uh, questions immediately occur anyway on social and conventional media so and in programmes like this. So not to allow Patrick Valence uh, and Chris Whitty to... Uh, respond directly, I think is a mistake. I agree with that. Uh, the second point, uh, there's no there's no evidence you say for what for the, the graphs they show. Actually, what they show, I think, is does represent uh, the most likely scenario if no steps are taken. And you say that's not what happened in France or, or uh, Spain. Uh, that's because France and Spain took measures to ensure that... No, that's simply not true. No, the, the measures in Spain have actually... They're, they're talking about trajectory they've been following. The measures in Spain have only just come in far more recently. And again, in France, that 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 trajectory, that that is so wildly off the scale of the trajectory that France and Spain have been on. We've followed it very, very closely for weeks on end. And on the same trajectory, we would hit 10,000 cases mid-October, then maybe, who knows, 40 deaths a day. That is you know, a, less than a quarter of, of what... Um, the, the, their example scenario was. Why would they use an example scenario that was not following the trajectory, which they say is what is the trajectory that worries them? Well, my understanding, I'm not a scientist, but my understanding is that the science demonstrates uh, that there is a double, uh, that the rate of incidence doubles on a regular, on the regular timetable that Patrick Balance, Chris Whitty, I think, set out mm -hmm. yesterday, unless you take steps to intervene to prevent the spread of the virus. Except the it didn't do that really in France was, and Spain and they didn't take extra steps during that time. Well, no, that's not true. They did. They have been taking steps. In, not, in, in not, in, not, not in the... Not, no, because we're, we're six weeks behind Spain and we're three weeks behind France. And during those time periods, they did not take... They've not seen anything like the same growth and they did not take steps during that time. And that's the crucial point. Also, Sir Patrick Valance talked about how um, the numbers were doubling every seven or eight days. Well, that's not what the Office for National Statistics said in their official document on Friday. They say it's doubling every 10 days. And there is a huge... As you will know as a former health secretary, a huge, huge difference between those doubling rates. Well, the, well, clearly, the pace at which it doubles is a, is a. You're right about that. And if there, if there are, uh, so you're. I mean, what you're doing is take is challenging head on uh, the proposition that Patrick Balance, Chris Whitty uh, present as being their view of the likely trend of events if no steps are taken. Now, 
if that's uh, that's precisely the debate that I agree with you should have happened at the press conference yesterday and should now be going on in the public arena. I have no issue with that. What I regret from the early stages of the uh, pandemic was that this kind of, uh, of debate wasn't undertaken at the end of February, the beginning of March, which is why I think we reacted too slowly on that occasion, and why I'm in favour of uh, ensuring that we do act in time now, based on uh, not just a single view of the science with, uh, from Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance, but on a, a view of the science that reflects uh, the, uh, the, the argument about where the best, uh, the, the, the best evidence lies. Yeah, I mean, again, we are, this is the trouble is, of course, a lot of us will say, oh, well, I'm not a medic, I'm not a scientist, which is why we have. I mean, I always have trusted Witty and Valance. Uh, now I feel they have overplayed their hand for, for political reasons. Uh, just one final question. I mean, there are a lot of people suggesting on social media, this has now become a, a bottom covering exercise and uh, and a justification exercise. And, and as one of my, my guests, Benedict Spence, pointed out a little bit earlier, if we do see the numbers not rise, the government can take the credit for, hey, look, they haven't risen to where we said they would. Um, um, so we, you know, we do, we took the right measures in time. If they do rise, um, then we'll get blamed once again for not uh, not following uh, the rules properly, and and then the government can say, well, look, we we did all we can. Um, that this this is now about sort of the PR management of this rather than about dealing with the actual substance. How how reasonable a, uh, an accusation is that? I, I, well, I don't actually think that's right. As I started off by saying, I welcome the fact that the. the uh, the scientists have set out their view of the question uh, before the politicians uh, conclude on what response they want to offer. And uh, you're challenging that science. I suggest if that's the basis on which the, the, it's, it's entirely the right debate to have, and uh, probably the, the uh, best way in which to have that debate is for you to introduce onto your programme epidemiologists of the same standing of Chris, as Chris Whitty, and I certainly wouldn't put myself remotely in that category, in order to have a debate about what, where the best evidence lies. Because the one thing that's always wrong in these circumstances is to uh, introduce a subject by saying science says. Science is subject to debate like everything else. And there should be a debate about yeah. what is the nature of the problem before we resolve precisely what we're going to do to address it. Wise words. Stephen Dorrell, former health secretary, thank you very much indeed. Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let's talk about this warning uh, from Sir Patrick Valance yesterday. 49,000, people just rounding it up, as he knew they would, to 50,000 cases mid-October. If we carry on as we are in an example scenario he gave, leading to 200 deaths a day uh, mid-November. Let's talk to Professor Hugh Pennington. He's an emeritus microbiologist at the University of Aberdeen. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, it was a really doom-laden press conference yesterday from Witty and Valance, but the standout uh, bit I think everybody uh, recalls, and it's on the front page of every paper today, is what Patrick Valance called not a prediction but an example scenario, and that is if we double off uh, our cases every seven days, as he claims we are, although the Office of National Statistics says 10 uh, days, um, and if we follow France and Spain, we will look at 49,000 cases a day uh, in mid-October, and that would translate by mid November to 200 deaths a day. Um, do you believe that is a, an example scenario that we should be fearful of? Well, we should be fearful of it if there's any truth in it. I'm highly sceptical that anything as bad as that will happen. 
because we actually are doing quite a lot and we're doing even more in some areas of the country where the virus is the busiest you know in the northwest of england for example you know there are lots of restrictions there which don't apply uh, to most other parts of the country it's the same in glasgow in scotland uh, so we are doing a lot and I, I think you know for the virus to go on the rampage as it were uncontrolled it would only do that if it wasn't being controlled at all and this, um, we're back to sort of the Imperial College uh, uh, predictions from Professor Neil Ferguson, 250,000, possibly even 500,000 deaths from coronavirus, which we had way back at the beginning of the, of the year. And that, again, that was based on if we took no measures whatsoever. So no hand washing, no social distancing, nothing at all, which was never likely because really early on, February onwards, we were all doing a lot of that. Absolutely. And in, in other countries, you know, OK, we look at Spain and we look at uh, look at France and the case numbers are going up quite substantially. Nowhere near at the same rate as they are in, in the model. Well, in whatever you call it, you know, the, the example, it's not a prediction. Uh, and in other countries, it's not happening at all, like in Sweden and, of course, in New Zealand. All they're worried about is importing cases because they got rid of the virus. In, in OK, they had a very strict lockdown with some of the measures that we're now talking about, you know, about table service and, you know, curfews and all that. And they actually work there. But, but having, having said all that, having said all that, I think it's highly unlikely we'll get anywhere close to that sort of doom laden, those red uh, bars on, on, on the graph. That, that was a stick to beat us with. If we do nothing or if we retreat from what we're doing, I think that's a slight worry that people, you know, the rules come in and people just don't follow them. If, 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 if you know, the majority of the population took that attitude, we would be in serious difficulties, but I don't think the majority of the population does that. You no, know, and, and this and this is the worry, and this is the thing, is that if you look at the headlines, you look at the way people are talking about this, and, and the way, I'm sorry, Sir Patrick Valance and Professor Chris Whitty are far, far, far too eminent and clever and knowledgeable, uh, and the, the, the press operation at number 10, whatever people think of it, is also far too good to actually think that we wouldn't be looking at that, almost 50,000 cases, 200 deaths a day, and everything. But Sir Patrick Valance was very careful because he wanted to stick by the fact that he could always say and, I'm, and I think everything right now is now being prepared for the inquiry I really think that everything now that's being said and done is just looking at how is this going to look in the inquiry um, he said this is not a prediction he said that twice he said it was an example scenario it is being treated as if it is a prediction despite the fact that if we were, as they said, following France and Spain, we would hit maximum 10,000 cases a day mid-October. And that's even ignoring the fact that most of these cases have uh, no, uh, they, they're, they're positive t uh, test cases as opposed to actual medical cases. These are people with often no symptoms at all. And then the maximum you're looking at would be 35, 40 deaths a day. Now, each one of those deaths would be a tragedy. But that's where we need to get things in perspective, don't we, in terms of the number of people who die on any given day of every other different cause including things like flu and cancer absolutely and clearly we, we, we must remember we've learned some bitter lessons uh, you know since the peak of the the uh, the epidemic way back in in you know in, in march and april you know we know better uh, much better how to control the virus well how to stop the virus getting into care homes which was one of the major places where unfortunately lots of people have suffered fatal infections and you know we're not perfect on that but that's the sort of thing that we really must be doing uh, even better than we're doing now there are still some cases in care homes uh, you know and that's a scandal really because we know how to stop it getting in there once it gets in there 
you know, the virus does tend to go on the rampage for obvious reasons. You know, the residents themselves uh, are, are all vulnerable and the residents themselves, many have dementia. So they, they, they find it difficult to follow the rules and all that kind of thing. So we've got, we've got a lot of experience of that, very sadly, you know, based on tragedies, which means that, you know, the, the deaths are going to be much less, even if the virus got much common. And as you say, uh, still at the moment, much of the virus is in younger people who have essentially a trivial illness in the vast majority of cases. And, and this is the thing. We are constantly being told that look, this is you know, this deadly pandemic. This deadly, you know, and what we were told in terms of going into a lockdown uh, in March, you know, we didn't know much about the virus. We didn't know who it killed. The information out of China was very skewed. What we saw in Italy was terrifying, overwhelmed NHS. We've now got an NHS with vast amounts of capacity because he ain't been treating anyone else for anything else for the last few months. Uh, beds are sitting there lying waiting um, um, and, and we also now know that the average age of people who die is 82 now I, I don't I don't wish anyone in their 80s or 90s and, and earlier deaths than they would otherwise have and each death is a tragedy for them and their family but but we need to get this in perspective in terms of the likely risk to us um, do you agree with the, um, the letter sent by Professor Carl Hennigan, uh, uh, Professor Carol Sikora, Professor Sinetra Gupta and many others calling on Boris Johnson to fundamentally reconsider the government's response to that letter, a co-signatory, and 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 basically said we've got to pay much more attention and have it really top of our of our, our agenda of, of policy is protecting the the really vulnerable, and these are people over the age of sixty, and the older you get, I mean the eighties are in a very dangerous position if they catch the virus, and the the number one thing is to stop them catching the virus rather than worrying too much about the virus affecting people in their 20s and 30s. Okay, it's nice to get the case numbers down and to get the number of infections down because that will obviously translate into fewer viruses getting, you know, fewer infections getting to the elderly. But we've really got to focus on the elderly because they're the people who suffer the most. They're the people who talk up the NHS. They're the people that die uh, in Care units. Yeah, indeed. Shielding shielding the elderly would be by far the most sensible thing to be doing. Uh, and again, we didn't shield the elderly and the, the vulnerable properly. And I keep hearing actually from uh, people who I know, you know, they're, they're cancer patients. They're very concerned about, uh, you know, basically being sort of put into lockdown themselves while everyone else carries on their life. Like, but I'm sorry, but putting, you know, for 60 odd million people into lockdown when you could only put like you know, two or three million people uh, on a voluntary basis seems to me to be, you know, eminently insane, um, frankly. Um, are you hopeful that the government is going to see sense on this or do you think we are now just down that road and we are going to go back into some semi, it's nothing like what we're talking about in March, but some semi-lockdown? No, I, I would sincerely hope that they look very, very carefully at their policies and say we've got to have a focused approach. We've got to focus on protecting the elderly and we've got to focus on making sure that people with other diseases and the, you know people with bowel cancer uh, and, and and breast cancer or who might have it are getting top grade uh, surveillance and top grade uh, uh, treatment because they're the people also who are suffering as a consequence of the health service being obsessed not, not you know not, not unwisely of course because they're being told to being un- obsessed with with the with the uh, the covid-19 so we, we've got to get the balance right we haven't quite got the balance right yet i hope the government does and of course focusing on where the virus is busiest is also crucially important and we're doing that and we need to do that even better we need to get the the contact tracing working properly because that's a key to success indeed thank you very much indeed always good to speak to you professor hugh pennington 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Right now, delighted to welcome Labour's Shadow Foreign Secretary, Labour MP, uh, Lisa Nandy, to the show. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, does the government uh, policy right now, is that, is that endorsed by the Labour Party in terms of us having a curfew on pubs and restaurants, telling people to work from home once again and any other measures we're likely to hear from the Prime Minister today? Does the Labour Party endorse that? Well, I think the measures that the government's outlined so far are fairly sensible. They sound sensible, but they're by no means sufficient. Just down the road from me um, in Bolton, the the, par- the pubs, bars and restaurants have had these restrictions placed on them already. They've been enforced for several weeks, but we've also seen uh, infections continuing to rise. So it's clear there's going to have to be more from the government. It's very difficult to, to second guess what that ought to be. They haven't shared the evidence with us or with the public. We don't know where this infection is spreading, whether it's in households, whether it's because of people um, going to work or whether it's because of people going out socialising. So until the Prime Minister turns up to the House of Commons and sets that out, it's very difficult to say what should happen next. But it's certainly clear from what the scientists were saying yesterday that the infection rates are rising and we've got to do more to get a grip on this virus. Well, indeed, infection rates are rising, although there's some big question marks about some of the graphs and some of the evidence that was given by Patrick Valance and, uh, Hugh, and uh, Chris Whitty yesterday. Um, but we know that uh, cutting, you know, cutting off service in pubs and restaurants at 10pm, we've just been speaking to Kate Nichols, the chief executive of UK Hospitality. That will actually be, I mean, a death knell for an awful lot of, uh, of, of small businesses and an awful lot of jobs as well uh, in that sector in terms of having only one sitting in a restaurant, having to stop uh, having new customers in at nine o'clock, halved capacity already. We could see mass job losses uh, in that sector. Uh, Do you think that's worth it? Well, that, that is precisely the reason why we've been saying to the government, you have got to target support to particular industries, not just a one size fits all approach to supporting jobs and supporting businesses, but 
but actually taking particular industries and sitting down with them and working out what support they need. If businesses have to, if pubs have to go through further restrictions, there will be job losses unless the government steps up and supports them. There's a cafe in the office that I run, in the building of the office that I run in Wigan for my constituents, where uh, the, the woman who runs it believes that she is going to have to close that with the loss of jobs. At some point, those businesses will all return to work um, and we know that we'll need a cafe there. It's extremely short-sighted not to support businesses like that. Everyone will do what it takes to get through this virus, but they want to know that the government is there and supporting them through it. And what they most of all want to know is that we're getting a grip on the test, trace and isolate system because we've had a wasted summer and in the end, the only way through this is to know where the virus is, to be able to trace the people that um, those who've got it have come into contact with. Otherwise, you lose a grip of this, as we've seen over the last few months. And what do you make of the government bringing in, as we announced uh, over the, the, the weekend, these £10,000 fines for people who repeatedly refuse to self-isolate after getting a, a positive COVID result or possibly being a close contact with someone who has um, and being told basically, you know, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, we will fine you. Do you have any sympathy for the people who you know, don't get paid if they don't go to work, who say, I simply can't afford, not just to not get paid, but possibly even lose my job if I don't go to work. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the reason why it's very important for the police and others to have proper guidance, very clear guidance about how they enforce this. The government has to make sure that they do their part and provide support to people so that they don't suffer greatly, including, you know, families suffering because they um, can't afford to go to work. I think it's fair for the government to say that for those people... Uh, there was a case in Bolton, there's been another in Wales, who are just deliberately flouting the rules that there have to be repercussions. My worry is that unless you provide support to people who would otherwise lose their jobs, then people will find it impossible to comply with the guidance. So as well as enforcement, as well as the stick, we need to provide the support to people so that they can actually comply. And most of all, we've got to get a grip of the testing system because if people can get access to a test, um, then it removes the need to self-isolate for several weeks at a time and we can get people back to work and get the economy back up and running much more quickly. Um, you talked about a lot of extra help there for lots of different sectors, um, including you know, some of the hardest hit sectors like the entertainments and, uh, and, and pubs and restaurants industries. What price tag have you got on that? Well, it, it, it depends what the government decides to do. If you remember at the beginning of this crisis, they, the Chancellor was roundly applauded for sitting down with the TUC and the CBI, with employers and employees' bodies, and working out a package of support, the furlough scheme um, and support for business, that would make sure that people didn't lose their jobs unnecessarily through this crisis. But since then, that, that approach has just disappeared. We haven't seen any real attempt from the government to reach out to industry, to sit down with those affected and say, what is it that you actually need? So we've seen money wasted um, through things like the job retention scheme, which doesn't seem to have had much of an impact, um, but has cost a great deal of money. While at the same time, there are some industries that are obviously affected, pubs, bars and restaurants are the, the clear one today, where they're facing further restrictions. There are spokespeople out for the industry saying this is going to be the nail in the coffin for many of those businesses and many jobs lost. And that's where support should be targeted. So it's not a question of writing a blank cheque, but it is a question of getting a very clear strategy based on 
what those industries need and what those employees need. Um, we just the- haven't seen it from the government. Well, we're going to be hearing from you later today at this uh, conference, but also Sakir Starmer, your leader, and uh, his uh, speech is being billed as uh, vowing to turn Labour into the party of security, making big breaks with the Corbyn era. You are one of the uh, the few people on the front bench time who, who actually was speaking out against Jeremy Corbyn uh, and uh, and his leadership. The new the new slogan, you know, new leadership uh, as well. Um, how much do you think you're going to be able to persuade those red wall voters, so-called red wall voters across the north? in the Midlands of this country who moved over to vote for the Tories, particularly on the Brexit issue as well, and also concerns about Corbyn's leadership. How much do you think you're going to be able to persuade them to come back to the Labour fold? What do you have to say to them to win them back over? Well, we've got a big job of work to do and there's a you know, huge effort that is required to win back people's trust. I think they need to hear from us that we'll put their security up front and centre, their national security. I think people want to hear from Labour and understand and see that we will stand up for Britain um, and um, defend people, support people uh, against attacks from abroad. But they also want to see that we'll put their family security, their economic security first. I remember a few years ago, a woman in Wigan rang me up during the 2017 election and said to me, don't... um, don't promise, Lisa, what you can't deliver. And I said to her, well, no, I, I completely agree with that. And she said, because it's our money and we haven't got a lot of it. You know, what you'll hear from Keir Starmer today is that we want to invest in public services. We want this country to be more ambitious for the future of its young people and its older people. But we are going to be careful with people's money. We're going to be careful with their security. We're going to work with them in order to deliver on their priorities. And I think people are receptive to that message after 10 years 10 lost years under the Tories. I think people know Britain can be better than this and that is what Keir will set out today. Okay, uh, Lisa Nandy, Shadow Foreign Secretary, thank you very much for joining us. She's actually in a a, a hallway, so apologies for the uh, loud banging noises in the background there. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.